Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, folks. I hope everyone is having as awesome of a day as my day has started out. I just got back from meeting with my men's accountability group. I love it. We're actually in a book called Soul Detox, Clean Living in a Contaminated World. It's actually by a good friend of mine, Craig Rochelle, founding pastor of Life Church. And it's a book I think every man should should read. Every woman should read. It's not just a man's book. I mean, literally, it's amazing how... We all start out right. Matter of fact, I'm doing a comment over on my blog where a guy says that network marketing is all about greed. And sadly, I see exactly what he's talking about. But it's not the truth. See, when we, when we as people get caught up and desensitized in the world around us, we all are susceptible to falling away from our values, falling away from what we truly believe in. And... That's what this, this book I'm doing on my, in my men's group is all about. But today, I am excited. We are in Chapter 2 of Tim Marks's book, Voyage of a Viking, How a Man of Action Becomes a Man of Grace. And, and he actually titled this chapter From Viking to Superman, but I, t- I titled it in my, in my radio show as From Viking to Superhero. Because I believe at the end of the day, this isn't a a book that just men should read, by golly. This is a book that every person should read. And the reason I feel that way is because this is a book that can revolutionize your life. Too many times we don't get into the nitty-gritty of why or who we are. We don't get into the flashpoints in our life that has made a, a remarkable difference, why we are the way we are today. And that's why I think this is important. Now... Mark talks about Superman because him and his wife, they got pet names for each other. He calls her Wonder Woman because of everything that she's able to accomplish. And she calls him Superman because of the transformation that he made from a man of action to a man of grace. And some of you, you know, it may, it may seem like it's easy to do, that it's, that it's no big deal, when really it is. It's tough for us to make a change, and so many times we just don't do it. You know, he has an area in here called define, learn, do. And I started talking about this yesterday on Beachside CEO because we're, I'm, this is the first time I'm actually doing the same, same book on two different shows. It's, that's how important it is to me. And he says, like many people, I never had a teacher Take me aside and explain the concept of define, learn, and do. He said the concept's simple. We define what we want. We learn what is needed to accomplish that. And then we do what is required to achieve it. That can be pretty tough. And he goes on in this chapter. It's amazing how just transparent he gets. He talks about being an alcoholic. And I got to thinking, you know, I, I grew up around alcoholics. 
And even though I started drinking at a very, very young age, my dad and mom, before they started hanging out in church, would have parties, and and that was the thing to do in the late 60s, early 70s. And so I'd run around the room because, I mean, kids all hung out. We'd shoot pool, play games. We'd run around with our parents, and I'd grab a beer. If somebody had a beer on the fireplace, I'm going to chug it. You know, that's no big deal. We'd sneak out when some of the older kids would hide beer in the in the ditches because back then you actually had a ditch in a gully. We'd, we'd grab it out of the culvert, and we'd drink it. Usually it was hot, and it was Falstaff, which I don't even know if they're in business anymore. But I never became an alcoholic. Mark talks about how he became an alcoholic and and how hard it is to overcome that. And I got to thinking, okay, I can't relate to the alcoholism, but I can sure relate to other addictions. See, sometimes... We wonder why our business isn't growing and we're addicted to something that's holding us back. Sometimes we're addicted to fear. That, that, that might throw you a little bit, but you are. See, it's funny how we see these shirts all the time, party till you puke. Mark not only partied till he puked, he partied until the lining of his stomach was really getting ruined. I've got a, a son that way. Tears me up every time I pray for him. You may say, Troy, what the heck's this got to do with business? I'm turning into your show. I want to learn how to grow my business. Well, you've got to learn how to grow yourself before you ever learn to grow a business. And you've got to look at what addictions that you have. And something that I took away from this chapter is addictions don't begin so obviously. Instead, they slip in quickly when we let our guards down and we are weak. Yesterday I shared about how growing up it was just common for me to look at Playboy magazines because that's what my dad would have in the house. So I just thought it was cool. I was in my teens before I realized that Santa Claus elves weren't necessarily women that went around topless. But see, it was that early stages of of pornography that put me down a whole different road than what Mark went on. See, there was a time in my life when I would be at more strip clubs than most people knew even existed. And we're not talking about the ones in the shady parts of town. We're talking what they call gentlemen's clubs. And and it was easy for me to do because I took a job that was as a bodyguard, so that's what my boss did. Every night after a hard day of mergers and acquisitions, we'd hang out at the clubs. Our vendors that we did business with, our brokerage houses, would take us to strip clubs or private lingerie viewing. It became an addiction, so to speak. And I don't totally understand all this addiction stuff, but I know now that whenever I feel that there's this, this twinge of, hey, I could, I could do that to obsessiveness, then I know that's not part of me. Because of my convictions now and the commitments that I've made to my wife, we don't even, we don't even come close to that. And that's what Mark had to do. Mark had to get it on his knees. I almost lost my wife because of this crap. Mark, because he was a drunk, almost lost his whole family. And after his three-year-old son saw him puking his insides out, it started him down a path of where today, after, and it took him to the year 2000, he stopped drinking totally. What, what we call a teetotaler. Mine wasn't that bad. I was 15 years old drinking Bacardi 151, just like Mark. Of all things, I was at an outdoor drive-in theater in Kansas City called the 40 Highway Drive-In that showed pornography 
in an open air theater, so it was kind of cool. You know, you could sneak in in the back seat of a car, nobody knew you were there. You could hide and all that crap, and we were drinking Bacardi 151. And I remember I had to take a leak. I got out of the car and started running to the bathroom, and right when I got there, because I was drunk, the door moved, and I slammed into the wall and flat on my back. Did not like that whatsoever. Not only that, but I didn't know at the time that when you showed pornography movies inside of a, a, an outdoor theater that they actually had black lines through anything that would have been worth seeing at the time as a teenage boy, so that kind of sucked too. Wasted a lot of money that night. And I realized I just didn't like to get drunk. Later on in life, as a bounty hunter and a bail bondsman, I'd go through a fifth of tequila a day. Never getting drunk. I mean, I just slowly drank it from the time I got done eating breakfast at Poe Folks to the time I finally wind up at home sometime that night. But I don't do any drinking now. I don't do hanging out at the clubs or any of that stuff. I realize that if you're going to succeed in business, if you're going to succeed in life, you've got to look at your life and say, what am I addicted to? I got addicted to success. And I would drive my energies to making a business succeed, whether we were going to sell it, keep it, or just run it until we couldn't run it anymore. And I did the same thing for other people's businesses. And I had to learn that isn't what God created me to do. Just like Mark or Tim in this chapter had to learn this isn't what God created me to do. See, Tim says in here, he goes, I was an alcoholic. I didn't know it. I wouldn't admit it. I couldn't see it, but I was. I told myself I was just a social drinker, and I kept lying to myself for years. You go on business trips, and you say, well, I'm just, it's, just, it's just innocent flirting with this girl. It's no big deal. Nothing's going to happen. Yeah, until it does. See, here's what Mark, or gosh, this, these boys with two front names, this is what Tim writes. Sadly. It takes a real wake-up call to shock most people into changing for good. And you want to know something? Even then, most people want to blow it off. And that's the sad part. I sat with a men's accountability group this morning. We were talking about this very subject. We were talking about the difference between remorse and repentance. See, a lot of times... What Tim's talking about here, the, the wake-up call, it isn't a wake-up call. We're remorseful that we got busted for something. We're remorseful that we got caught at it. But we're not repentant of the actual sin. Okay, I know that's a three-letter word most people in the world don't use today. It's not a mistake. Oops, I made a mistake. She's pregnant. No, you probably sinned. And she's pregnant. There's no way to make a mistake and get somebody pregnant. Oops, I made a mistake. I had an affair last night. I woke up this morning, but I was drunk. That's not a mistake. That's a blatant act of free will. And let me bring it home. Oops, my business isn't growing. It must be the company's fault. No, you're not working the business. Don't get me wrong, there's times when companies go through hiccups. I've got a company right now called Zeke Rewards, and, man, they're having just frustrating troubles all over the place. I mean, there's always a chance that something could go wrong with a company. But in the most of the cases, what happens is the individuals trying to build the business 
just aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. They make excuses for why they're failing. My dad always talked about excuses being just cleverly disguised lies. Most of the time, lies we make to ourselves to make us feel better. I have custom shirts made, and on the bottom of one of my shirts it says, no more excuses, just get it done. I constantly try to have motivational things popped onto my shirt so that I can, as I'm focused, as I'm talking to people, if I get nervous and I look down at my tail of my shirt, I motivate myself. See, it's tough, and I know that. And most of the time, we struggle with these these habits. You know, we, we talked about this in, in uh, Chapter 1, about the influences that we have, the power of the associations that can't be underestimated, because if we hang out with people who have bad habits, we will likely adopt those bad habits. Same thing if we hang out with people that have great habits, we'll adopt those habits. It's a powerful situation that we find ourselves in, but most people are not hurting enough to make a change. See, in in life, if you study psychology at all, and because of, I'll tell you what, because of my background, I've studied a lot about psychology. My mom, when I was very, very young, had a nervous breakdown. I had electrodes plugged into my head to see if I was going to be as as susceptible to nervous breakdowns as she was. Those that knew about my mom's condition, I had to put up with. So at school, I'd hear them talking about, hey, that's the boy with the crazy mom. I, I went through all that crap, so I know what Mark goes through on this stuff. But I made a long determination, even before I knew that I was doing it, that nothing was going to hold me back from succeeding in life. I just didn't quite have the the correct definition of success back then. And it took a long time and a lot of struggles. But I learned that as humans, we do two things. We either run towards pleasure or we run away from pain. And the majority of us are running away from pain 24-7. And we will do anything to drown out that pain. And it's not just a man's issue. I've got women that I know have addictions to alcohol, to sex, to pornography. It's, it's, it's devastating because it's not something that can be covered up anymore. I had a good friend of mine. We were in business together when we were in mergers and acquisitions. After we went on separate ways and, and I was pulling it full-time in network marketing. He was back in retail sales. We chatted one day, and he said, Troy, I want you to pray for my family. I know you're a praying man. And I said, well, what's up? He said, well, when the casinos came into Missouri, my dad didn't know that my mom had that urge. He goes, now they're almost on the verge of bankruptcy, having to take a second mortgage out just because she's blown through all of their retirement She's blown through all their cash. Instead of going to work, she was going to the casinos. I said, man, I'll pray. See, this this isn't a man's problem. This is a people problem. With 50% of the people getting divorces in personal lives, you can guarantee 50% of business relationships are going through divorces too. 
Do you ever wonder why all of a sudden we talk about his work wife or her work husband? People are getting so intimate at work that it's just natural that they cross that line. They don't even realize that it's wrong. When the shows on TV are about sister wives where where a, a Mormon, not not knocking the Mormon faith in this in this show, what I'm saying is here's the issue. All of a sudden, a, a man that calls himself a Mormon feels that it's okay to have multiple wives and backs it up with Scripture. And we think it's so cool that we put it on TV, and then we find out that people in our family think it's the greatest show under the sun. And we're thinking, how in the world do we become so desensitized to something? I had a phone call about this not too long ago this week, and it was interesting. I didn't even know the show existed. But see, that happens. Or there's things that will throw us into a turmoil, like losing a sibling or our mom and dad. It finally came a day that Tim had to say goodbye to his mom. He said, my mom was my hero, plain and simple. The older I get, and as I look back on how we played the hand that she was dealt, the more I'm amazed I, <coughs> excuse me, I am that she was even able to put food on the table for us. I now understand what it took for her to wake up in the mornings and go to work at the bank during the day while arranging for me to have somewhere to go after school, usually at the house of a friend. Once she even cajoled someone into getting me to football practice. She was an expert at juggling. I remember my mom being stressed out over their finances because my dad didn't send her child support or he sent her only a portion of it. So every moment she could, my mom worked. She would race home and then off to her second job where she worked all night at a hospital. Then she spent the weekends working at a bingo hall. She scraped together what pennies she could could find to make a mortgage payment, keep the lights on and the water running, and put some food in the fridge. Sometimes the pickings got pretty slim, but I never remember going to the fridge and not finding something that I could eat. Of course, my uncle worked at General Mills, so he was able to get us some cereal. My mom was literally a caregiver, the sole parental example and leader of the house. Through all that she did, she still made time on occasion to take me outside and throw a football around with me. Not often, but enough times that I have a memory of her doing it. She just knew, as a teenage boy, I needed a parent to play catch with. She didn't know a darn thing about throwing the football, but God bless her, she did her best. My mama never really read a book on leadership or self-development, but she still seemed to manage to hammer some strong values into my brother and I. Don't lie. Do what you say you're going to do. And one of the most important things for me was that she believed I could do whatever I dreamed of doing. And she would say, you can be whatever you want to be. Don't let anyone tell you anything different. That's pretty powerful. You know, here's a single mom. I pray single moms all the time. They play the dad and they play the mom role. Every Father's Day on Facebook, I put stuff up thanking single moms for giving it their all because they have to play that daddy role sometimes. You know, none of us have perfect parents. I mean, I got a list a mile long. If I did the Ben Franklin clothes, I wouldn't pick my parents. 
because I'm sure, just like most kids, you could figure out all the negative things about your parents that you would do different. Lord knows it's easy to be the, the you know the the reclining chair coach on the sideline. But I honestly, except on a few occasions, have I ever met a parent that didn't do their all for their kids. See, sometimes parents are just stupid. And and the and the older the parents are, the more stupid they are because they didn't have all the internet, they didn't have all the resources. There's no dadgum book back then that you could buy on parenting. I don't even know if 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 uh, what's his name that uh, James uh, Dobson had any books out back then. Nowadays you can find a book on everything, book on how to be a parent, how to be a, a father, how to be a husband, how to be a better lover, how to find a lover, how to get rid of a lover. You know, you can probably find books on how to get rid of parents. But it, it amazes me what our parents would be able to do. Now, every now and then, especially in this generation, I run across parents that they want to go play. They they think, hey, let's you know, it's my right to go sleep with whoever I want to. But then they don't want to worry about the kids. That's just the aftermath. Or 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 better yet, here's a great one. Well, I wouldn't have this kid if you if you hadn't have taught me that abortion was wrong. It's hilarious kind of excuses you can hear from people in today's society. But here's what I'm getting at. It's excuses. We make excuses for the the actions that we do or don't do, and that's what Mark's talking about here. Or not Mark. Gosh, Tim Marks is talking about here. See, this is the issue that we've got to face. Are we going to keep making excuses? Or are we going to suck it up? Are we going to go through a time when we can finally say, that's a turning point in my life. That's a flashpoint, and I'm going to make a change. For Tim, here's what happened. The phone call came. He says, tragedy tends to wake us up to what's really important in our lives. I didn't realize how precious my mom really was until I returned home from work one day only to find a message waiting for me on the answering machine. It was my mom. She'd gone to the doctor that day to have her chronic sore throat checked and had returned after receiving some very unexpected and sobering news. The phone call to me was the kind of call that you can't ever be prepared for, but one that you know will eventually come. Tim, it's Mama. I need to talk to you. I just found out that I have cancer. Please call me back. Well, I didn't call her back. I drove right away to her house. We arranged to meet with her doctor. I had never faced a situation like this. All of this medical stuff was brand new to me. The doctor walked us through what to expect and what the options were and what her chances were. We decided we'd fight it. If someone else had beaten this, then it was possible my mama could beat it too. We were going to fight it, and we were going to win. And my mama fought very, very hard for a long time. Thus began a year of chemotherapy, 11 months to be exact. The one saving grace for my mom during those months was that we finally had Cam, our first little boy, and he was the light of my mama's life. She'd always wanted a grandson to hold. There was always pressure in Amy and I to get busy on starting that family. And I'm so glad we had Cameron when we did because it meant so much to Mom to be able to hold that beautiful little boy in her arms. 
My mom loved Cam more than anything, and she would do anything for him. I think that just getting to hold him gave her extra strength to hang on a little longer and probably add months to her life. With her options dwindling, my mom figured that she had one chance, a bone mural transplant. It was a risky procedure because basically they kill all your bone marrow in your body, essentially killing you, and try to put new bone marrow in from some donor, and then you pray that it takes. If not, then it's the end. The doctors were pretty clear that without this procedure, she would be gone in just a few months, but her quality of life in those final months would be terrible. The transplant would be a horrible experience for anyone going through it, but if it worked, it meant she would live. But it also meant that we had to isolate her from Cam. We couldn't couldn't risk any fatal infections. In my mom's, mom's final two months, I would drive down to Harper University Hospital in Detroit an hour each way to see her. I don't know if you've ever known anyone who had to go through something like this, but there's almost no way to be prepared for it. You know, I'm going to stop right there because I never went through that with my mom. But I came close with my dad. And my dad had colon cancer several years ago. And it's the first time I ever saw my dad flat on his back. It prepared me for the future without a doubt. But you want to know something to this day? I hate hospitals. I don't like going in them. The only time I go into a hospital now is if one of my boys have called saying, Dad, I've been in a fight and I'm in the emergency room. Can you come hang with me? Or when my wife has to go to the hospital to deliver a baby or something. Outside of that, my friends go to the hospital, then they're just there. Now, if one of them was terminal, trust me, I'd go visit them. But that's the only reason I'm going to show up. I just don't like hospitals. So I understand Mark when he talks here saying, I just hate going to hospitals these days. That whole experience just did me in. But you know what else it did? Every every day he'd grab Wendy's on the way to the hospital. On the way back he'd grab Wendy's, and there for a long time he couldn't even eat Wendy's. Because it brought back the sorrow, the memories. He said, each time I walked into my mom's room, I would get sick feeling in my stomach, wondering how bad is she going to be today. He writes, many things that happen are not good, but they are part of God's plan. See, it's hard for us to realize what's going on. How are we going through this crap? Why can't I succeed in business? Why can't I succeed at home? And it's because we need to get focused on what the plan is for our life. I know some of you that hang out on here don't listen to, to or don't believe in God, and that's cool with me because that's not what this show's about. But you still need to get focused on what you were created for and put on this earth for. So you need to figure out what's your plan and how does everything fit into your plan. See, you're not succeeding in life at any level. Because you don't really have your plan down. You don't know what your purpose and mission is in life, so you don't know how all this stuff. So it's freaking chaos, and you don't understand it. My oldest son one day said, I just don't like the chaos in your house. I said, dude, you think this is chaos? This is just planned activity. We actually know what's happening and going on. It's just outside people that think it's chaos. I'm in the Marine Corps. We don't have chaos. We just have planned activities. But eventually, Mark was sitting in the room with his mom, and the nurse said, oh, not Mark, Tim, gosh, 
She said, Tim, sometimes people will hang on and they won't leave until the room is empty because they don't want you to feel bad. His mom was down to taking two breaths a minute. So the three of them left the room. And a few minutes later, his mom passed away. As Mark drove back home and got home, there was a letter that was waiting for them. He doesn't explain how the letter got there. And I'm going to try to read the letter. The letter was from his mom. It said, if you get this letter, then I'm already gone. He said, Mama figured that undergoing this procedure might do her in, so she wanted to make sure that she got her thoughts on paper while she still had a chance. And this is what the letter read. Tim, I love you. Amy, I love you as if you were my own daughter. Cam, you will never know how much Grandma loves you. Your dad and Mom are just going to have to tell you. Tim, take extra care of Cam. He's a bright, strong, and special boy. He's going to grow up to be somebody special, not only in our lives, but the lives of many people. Tim, I'm proud of you in the way that you've turned out. You're a very loving, caring, and compassionate man. You were that way as a boy, too. Take care, of good, take good care of Amy. And you can tell Cam, Grandma is his guardian angel. Now remember John, your brother, your only brother, so don't lose contact. And Amy, take care of Tim and Cam for me. I love you all very much. It was interesting as I read through this and continued reading the chapter. Because that was a turning point that helped drive him forward. It was a turning point that he saw how much his mother loved him and what he needed to do and where he needed to go and what he needed to grow in. It's what pushed him over the top in learning how to become a man of grace. His mom believed in him when nobody else did. Tomorrow we're going to go into chapter 3, The Character of a Viking. Listen to me. This is the most interesting book we've read in a while. You have the choice to decide where you're going to go in life. Are you going to blame others? Are you going to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and take it to the next level? Folks, live life like it's an epic adventure. Remember, stay dangerous and stay strong and pursue your dreams. Until next time, we'll see you right here on RealMentorsRadio.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.